Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. And here we are. Something that happens from time to time when recording these episodes is that I don't realize when they're being recorded how much they relate to what's going on. And this episode is one such case, Judah and I talking about what appear to be relatively esoteric concepts from the world of Steiner, which I guess you might say is sort of a Western mysticism tradition. And giving an overview of, of the changes throughout the course of consciousness in history, long, long stretches of time. You know, a few days ago I felt so much horror at what has transpired on the international stage. Horror and disgust, I guess is the word. But of course, not just at what's happened now, but at this whole sad saga. The United States has been dropping bombs on people for decades now, with no good reason to do so. It's an absolute horror and shame that this is what the so-called land of the free and the home of the brave decided to do with their affluence. Now, of course, we didn't really decide to do it. The so-called leaders made those decisions, and really, it really wasn't even the leaders. It was the political influence of some very greedy, ruthless people. And there's all kinds of lipstick they've been trying to put on this pig. And, of course, both parties are in real deep on this. And there's just no way you can pretty it up. War crimes were committed. The international order was destroyed. The Geneva Convention is broken. Allies have become enemies. Enemies have become allies. And in a certain sense, it's really unclear if there are any allies anymore. It's a gigantic mess that's caused incalculable suffering on the parts of many, many millions of people the world over. And although bombs weren't dropped on this country, an economic bomb has gone off, a political bomb has gone off, and I think there are many other bombs on their way. Because a righteous nation cannot be righteous if it commits atrocities in unjust wars. A friend of mine sent me a podcast that's a kind of a call to action for those who value freedom, free speech, freedom of choice, the concept of liberty, which, you know, is at least on the surface, a very noble concept. I've often thought, hey, I, I was born in a free country, and I intend to die in one. 
But if that's what a free country does, I mean, if you just think on the world stage, because, you know, there's not as many freedoms elsewhere, or there haven't been, let's say, and it's unclear whether we still have freedoms here in this country, that, I suppose, is what's at stake. But if this is what a country has chosen to do, a country that stands for liberty, why on earth would anyone think of liberty as being something worth preserving? I don't think people understand the consequences of just how serious all of these things have been for decades now. And we can't just go back and change it. There's no undo button here. That's karma. Karma means action, the actions that were taken and the inescapable consequences that flow from action. So as much as I sympathize and identify in many respects with those who hope to preserve liberty, it has to be noted that they weren't concerned with the liberty of the people who were the victims of the bombs being dropped on them from our airplanes and drones manufactured here in our country. You know, when that whole thing was really gearing up, they, they, it was common to say, freedom isn't free. Remember that slogan? I always knew there was something wrong with that slogan. The horrible irony of it is that many of the neoliberals who supported these wars were painting it as if it were some sort of crusade for freedom, for the freedom of everyone on the planet. It was just such an obvious, bald-faced, hypocritical, cowardly lie. And yet, a lot of people were perfectly happy to go along with that very thin veneer of rationale. And everyone, of course, wants to blame the wars or blame the problems on the other side. But, my God, anyone who just has even a cursory knowledge of what's happened in each administration, they're all drenched in blood. All of them. The Democrats often made decisions that were worse than the Republicans when it came to bloodshed. Not only did Obama drop more bombs in his administration than any previous administration, I think in these so-called war on terror, but he completely destroyed Libya, made an absolute mess out of Syria, and as part of his Iran deal, he supported the Saudi war in, in Yemen, which is generally recognized as a genocide. Each of those are serious war crimes in and of themselves. And now people are finally riled up because they've been told to wear masks. And now something more serious. Taking this vaccine. And it is going to be a showdown here. And I do think that when it comes down to it, if you sort through all the information, there's a lot of good reasons to be extremely suspicious of this whole COVID narrative, the mainstream COVID narrative. I mean, there's reason to be suspicious of some of the other narratives outside of the mainstream. There's a lot of people talking about how viruses don't exist or they can't cause illness or something like that, which, you know, even if it did happen to be true, seems like one of the worst 
approaches to this whole thing because all you got to do is take a look at what the mainstream health authorities have said about about the vaccines, about the tests, and about the masks, and you realize that it's a gigantic mess and it's filled with contradiction, hypocrisy, extraordinarily confusing information, and a lot of very suspicious data. And... Yeah, it's a horror show. We're really starting to head into really dark times here. And so, uh, it's always helpful, I think, when things are looking really grim to try to get some broad perspective on where we are and kind of how we got here. And this is a perspective, what Judah and I are briefly exploring in this episode, that is never really considered. I'd never heard of it before until recently. And it's definitely something that requires a spiritual disposition in order to get into the mindset and see what's being talked about. If you're just going to approach it with your scientism hat on, it's not going to pass the smell test. But if you're able to kind of think poetically and and see what the character of civilizations are and some of the broadest strokes of what's happened in history, you can see why people might might think along these lines. There's a certain sense of inevitability, I'd say, from these ideas about where history is heading. But of course, for every general rule, there are exceptions, and I guess in some way or another, we're all trying to figure out how to escape the jaws of the worst possible outcome. So God willing, we can kind of start to get enough of a sense, enough of orientation about where we are and what's happening to be able to do just that. At least avoid the worst of the possible outcomes. And if we're lucky enough to live to the point in time where there's the opportunity for a better life, well, hopefully we'll have gained enough wisdom to know what to do if that opportunity arises. And if we're not in that situation, and it looks like the dark days are going to last for the rest of our lives, which I kind of feel like is probably the case in my instance, for for example. Already well into my 50s, so I know it's kind of hard to picture. It's hard to picture no matter what. So I, I'm not making any predictions, or I'm not even uh, going to stick with one story or another on that. But, you know, I can see that it's quite likely that that I won't make it through to the other side of this thing, whatever it is. Well, then uh, having a, a way of coming to terms with uh, with the end of this life and, and being okay with that, because God knows we all have to come to terms with that eventually. Anyway, that was a somewhat rambling introduction. I think uh, hopefully I covered most of the points that were relevant, and before I start saying things that are irrelevant, we may as well just get right into the episode. What do you think? Here we go. Judah and I talking about Steiner's conception of the flow of history as a battle between spiritual entities, which in the ancient world was Lucifer. And then there's this kind of Christic age, I guess the axial age, you could say. And now we're kind of in an Aramonic or satanic phase 
And, uh, and it kind of has to do with this dialectic between the spiritual and material realms. You could say that this, the Luciferian was this misplaced emphasis on a sense of spiritual greatness, of rising to the heights of spiritual greatness, kind of hubris, spiritual hubris. That the Christic was that kind of midpoint where there was a realization uh, that this is that humility is important, and that this is a marriage between spirit and matter, and we've kind of degenerated since then into well materialism, which is essentially what the satanic is all about. So that's kind of a thumbnail sketch, and you know what it makes me wonder. I don't think we discussed in the episode is whether this is a cycle through long history kind of a, uh, a waveform, if you like, and we see this kind of downward trend, I guess you could say. Is there going to be an upward trend, or is it just like a spike? Is it a sine wave, or is it a sawtooth? At any rate, you know, it does seem like there is some evidence for the sawtooth concept, because you have this uh, singularity moment where the configuration of the material is untenable, and it undergoes a chaotic transition that's typically violent, brief and cataclysmic and it's sort of a reset you could say the great reset (laughs) boy the themes are just i thought i was done with this intro but it's just going on and on now and it seems like i'm saying relevant shit so yeah now that i noticed that i was saying relevant shit i think it's done let's just go into the program then okay here we go i hope you enjoy it judah welcome back to the assembly of silence radio hour (laughs) <laughs> wow <laughs> your first video appearance it's been a while man yeah it seems like uh i don't know how is it that you didn't end up being the first video guest i don't know but here you are the fourth video guest something like that <laughs> you know i'm not a jealous man noah you know that's good that's good it could have been awkward <laughs> that's right <laughs> good to see you man good to see you Good to see you. So, uh, so what are we doing here? You want to just bullshit for a while, or do you want to dive into something? Well, we could. I mean, it'd be nice for like a little mini catch up, you know. Sure. But, uh, we're recording, so God no, you know, it doesn't matter I where know. we go, right? We could we could do the catch up <laughs> later, or I don't know. I have no uh, particular. You know, I like to not know what I'm doing. That seems to be the <laughs> the theme here in the assembly of silence. <laughs> nothing's changed hey i'm good with that you know i i think you know i i would i will i will say i'm so glad you sent me that lecture because i had it it literally just the week before i was going through a pretty uh i I was going through a bit of a depression Mm. and um and, and just feeling feeling the weight of what's happening in the world right now it's just like yeah um, you know, I'm just I, like watching, watching the, um, the widening gap in people's ability to communicate and find common ground yep. and the divisiveness and the, the chaos and the lack of impulse control. And, and, and I'm just, you know, just, 
just was feeling a lot and just really, I was really, I was caught up and I was caught in it. I was caught in the intensity of it and just feeling pretty lost actually. Was there an event that was going on like they, or, or, or was it just sort of an overall gestalt type of like feeling the, yeah. I think overall gestalt, I, I mean, one, I had just had like a really, a really wonderful week the week before I had just like a really positive, really profound week. Yeah. That's, that's always dangerous. And then uh, I was traveling, I was in the mountains and, and a few other things. And, um, and then I got back to my, my apartment and, and I just, and, and it just, it just all like so much just hit me, you know? And, uh, you know, you like, like, uh, you know, God forbid you put me flip on yeah. YouTube, you know, and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like even the best, even even the things that yeah. are most valuable in there. For instance, the 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 essay. Like, I mean, it's basically a recitation of a, a Rudolf Steiner essay, right? Uh, so even the best of YouTube yeah. is is sort of a cesspool <laughs> in a way, you know, like without it having like resonance at that particular moment because there's just so much stuff. It can't help but be a cesspool. It's it's just too much and quite often what they're suggesting on the surface layer is not the most enriching without a doubt and it's easy to get lost in it but yeah so maybe we should just identify what this was yeah. uh that was like the saving grace for the moment uh and for me too actually i, I don't know why i started listening to those i think partially because i can't read steiner you know i've always struggled with that so i i'm I'm a terrible reader. But you know, Dale Dale's got a great voice for it. Dale He's has really a good reader. reader. Yeah, it's perfect. He's got a great voice. So that helps. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been listening. To him. I've been listening to him read Steiner probably since 2009. I stumbled upon him. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, I didn't know was, you were familiar with him. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how I ran across it, but but it's wonderful because it also helps. I think to some extent, hearing someone read it who understands it. Uh, and then it's sort of like you're a little bit right. bridging that gap between the distance of the time. You know, it just sort of helps to have someone who's got it formatted in their head. And so, um, you know, you can really tell when someone understands the, the material they're reading. I've heard a number of things where the material is really interesting, but the person who's reading it doesn't know what they're talking about. So it's really hard to listen to it. No, you can feel it. Yeah, you can feel the lack of yeah. connection to it, right? So you know, yeah, th this absolutely. is a theme that we've had yeah. for a while. Where you know, you're someone who's really deeply steeped in Steiner, and I'm you know cursorily aware of his work. And there are things that occasionally jump out to me where I'm like, "Wow, right. okay, that's significant." And this was one of them. And then, of course, there's an awful lot where I'm like, "I have no freaking clue what the hell he's going on about," you know. <laughs> so. So, but this one, I think, is is it's an interesting thing to try to describe. How would you describe it? It it really does kind of paint a, a very broad picture of the progression of history in a way. Like, how, how would you characterize it? Well, that's well, you know, that's one of the gifts of of in my experience of reading Steiner is that it's it's spherical mm -hmm. in a sense. He he's not linear. He pulls you. He gives you this historic contextual uh, background of the history of what brought us to where we're at in the present moment 
and then shows you what's happening in the present moment that are signs pointing towards where we're going in the future. But he's also saying that there was a, like, basically what he says is that there was a Luciferic embodiment in in the distant past that was sort of the yeah. genesis of civilization, yeah. if I understand it correctly, and which, you know, brought these highly regimented hierarchical societies into uh, fruition, I guess. And, and that there's been a kind of progression through the Christic moment and that now right. things are kind of degenerating into what he calls the, what is it? The, the Aramonic, right. Aramonic, which we should probably start there because that's really the foundation of what this lecture is all about. This lecture is, is really about the Aramonic forces that are coming into existence preparing the way for the incarnation of a spiritual being into human form, just as this, the, the spiritual being of Christ incarnated in the form of the man, Jesus and Lucifer, he, he says, incarnated in a man in the form of a man, you know, in like the third century BC um, or third millennium BC. And I don't know exactly who that being is, um, but um, then, so what he's saying is that, so as, as, as those spiritual beings incarnate into human form, so will this one. And it's preparing, what's happening is it is preparing the soil, basically. It's preparing the minds, that's what I want to say. It's preparing the minds of humanity to receive it when it does come into existence. Right. Now, you know, it seems to me that, you know, there's an awful lot of people who would just immediately go, okay, I think I've had enough of this episode right now uh, on hearing that. Like, how do we contextualize that yeah. in a way where, you know, yeah. I mean, I think of it as, in a sense, a metaphor. Right. I mean, it sounds like he's being literal, that there was a literal incarnation of a particular kind of, you could say, like, yeah. Genesis moment of each of these spiritual beings, right? But I think you could you could also say that, yes. well, what you're really talking about is an age that's characterized by these spiritual beings. And that and this corresponds with a number of other types of systems that, you know, I think the Rosicrucians would just, instead of Aramonic, they would call it satanic, right? Yeah, it would be the devil. So if we go back, so the, the Aramonic term comes from Zoroastrianism, which was, right. you know, Persian religion and Armon was known as the Lord of Darkness. The he was the he was the Lord of Darkness and Chaos. He was the source of human confusion, uh, disappointment, and and strife is really what he was. Yeah, you could correlate him. You could correlate that with Thomas and the the Gunas. So you could say that, that that's a Thomistic uh, uh, mode of material existence, ignorance, right? Sure. And that and that. But I would say you know maybe. I would say I, I would say it's 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 broader and deeper than that because there would also be there would also be uh, a, a a chaotic nature to it as well. So here, let me. I just want to add one more layer to this, okay? And this might this might. Okay. Yeah. Great. Uh, and according and what Steiner, the way that Steiner talks about Araman is that he's he's uh, the Lord of Death, and basically. The, that Armand's will is to materialize human thinking into, into dead thinking 
to 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 such, to such a degree that that the soul becomes um, uh, how can I, how do I want to put it so that the soul becomes just totally attached to the physical body, uh, yeah, and a and a and a and a increasingly materialized earth so much so that the soul eventually is totally cut off and disconnected from its spiritual home. Right. And so, and so this so is Arman is the hardening is the, and crystallization, the materialization of, of human thought and, and soul life. That would be hell. It's like hell. Is that what you said? Yeah. That would be like hell. Totally. Right. And I think we could correlate with that, with the rise of the machine, with the consciousness that comes with the rise of the machine. And I think we could also correlate that with uh, the prophecy in Daniel, the abomination of desolation. The desolation is the removal of the soul, desold, right? Desolate, right? You know. So you just really hit the nail on the head because if you listen to some of the other lectures around this topic of him, what he says is that it's actual machinery that is one of the biggest um, signposts of Araman because. What we've done as humanity is we have created something outside of nature, outside yeah. of us that acts independent of us, yet determines our destiny. Yeah. And we're trapped inside of it. We're trapped, we're trapped inside of it. And, and of course, right now, we are literally, right, having an exchange within the context of one of these machines, I mean, within the network of machines. And those right. who are listening to this are also experiencing this conversation within the context of that machine language, let's say. Right. It's a fascinating thing to kind of view it from the inside, if you like. I think on some level, we are all now uh, subject to this machine structure. And and probably have been for way longer than we think. I think he he thinks of Aramonic as being a very ancient tendency, which comes to fruition. So it's something that's been around since the beginning, right? Building, right? It's building, yeah. yeah. And and the the whole the whole catch to the machinery is that one of the things he talks about is that there will be technologies developed that will suck people in unconsciously, yeah. right? So I mean, like, like I like that hit me hard. It, you know, when I was listening to the lecture, and I was processing it with with somebody as well, and um, and I just had this just deep aha moment of like, oh, I was just sucked in, totally unconscious into this YouTube realm, you know, and and that's what it is. There's these rabbit holes, right, that you can go down, yep. and um. And so it's it's that unconscious, that unawareness of the dangers of the technologies. Uh, you can use it consciously. That's one thing. Like you can kind of ensoul your technology if you're using it consciously with, you know, um, and here I know you're going to love this, with good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, we know where they lead. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but you know but it's true right because i i mean you know lives are changed all the time via messaging that comes out of these technologies absolutely for good 
for or for worse, right? And, and the other, and the talk that we're referring to right now is an example of that. You know, so we both exactly. listened to it, and it resonated. It resonated enough with me where I was like, "Hey, you know what? Guess what? I'm actually listening to Steiner." You're like, "Oh, huh?" That kind of blew me away. I had to like, right. you know, I had to double. <laughs> Did I just read what I just read? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was trying uh, after I listened to that one, and I really like. I, I basically I could I could go for the whole ride with that one. I tried listening to a number of other ones that were describing the aromatic nature, and I just could not make my way through them for whatever reason. I should have tried to figure out what it is that the stumbling block is, but you know maybe you can talk a bit more about what what that really signifies to him like it's not just the machine right 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 and you know i, I want to throw this out to you there's one that i just listened to today just kind of in preparation for this that i think that that really i was like oh he i i wonder if you listen to this one but it's called the deception of araman hmm. and um i think that one might get you just like the one you sent me very okay, clear. Yeah, I'll look that one up. Yeah, the deception of Armand. So, you know, here, so I, I want to give like, I kind of want to paint some context for, for some of this conversation, if that's cool with you. Yeah, let me just say one thing before that, which is, I think it's helpful to think of this as being poetry. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, uh, kind of symbols, deep symbols, kind of on a mythological level. So you're looking at right. like characterizations of uh, historical entities through time. And if you can, you could think of that as an embodiment of a particular spirit, if you want, or you could think of it as the quality of a time, like the gestalt of a time, something like that. You could think of it as like threads in history that are developing and changing something along those lines. So I think that's just like yeah. a helpful kind of way of, of framing what we're talking about. Yeah, I would totally, I would totally agree with that because it's how can you understand the present without knowing the past that brought us here, and, and, and then how could you know what to expect coming in the future if you don't know what the signposts are? Yeah, I think of it as, as you know, from from my not knowing stance, I would say that's the foundation. We don't know. Right. We don't really know what happened and we don't know what's going to happen. And then there's signs and signals, you know, and then you get a sense of like, well, what maybe have happened, you know, things kind of fit together and you start to get to piece, piecing together the pieces of a puzzle. It's like picking up the sticks, I think is something that we talked about, uh, something that I talked about in a previous episode with someone. It's, it's, it's that that's what you're doing when you're trying to understand what's, what's going on. Because basically all there are, are fragments. You don't have right. access to the knowing part of it, but oh yeah. Go with it. Right. Let's hear it. But we're not. But we're. But, but we're not incapable of knowing, which is a nice thing. Okay. Well, we we could get lost on this one. I mean, I think on some basic level, we are incapable of knowing. I think that we can we can have knowing everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it depends on. Uh, there's. I think there's basically one thing we can know, which is that there's something going on. <laughs> we know that. There's no doubt about it. Hundred percent certain. Something's happening. Now, right. what exactly it is, that's where things start to get a little dodgy. So, right. uh, okay, but there are a lot of incredibly, you know, perceptive people who have put together fascinating ways of viewing it. And Steiner was certainly one of them. Now, whether or not he was infallible in his vision, you know, that's a whole other question. I, I cannot follow it enough to be able to get a sense of the whole picture. 
but clearly the, the, the man was seeing something quite profound. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's human, right? So he's not infallible. Right. Uh, So, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, ground zero right there. He's a human being who had a a particular gift, uh, um, uh, but that doesn't mean he was infallible. And, um, but he did have a, 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 in my experience of reading his material, um, had a incredible capacity to perceive the spiritual workings behind the physical world. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think that's a lot of what these lectures are about. He's talking about the spiritual forces that, are, that exist behind the material world that are working their way into the material world, right? right. And so, you know, as kind of a foundational understanding, just as a simplified thing, you know, Steiner, Steiner would probably say, and I believe I've read this, you know, that the, the universe consists of beings and forces. Hmm. And that's one of the big things. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break that down a little bit. The, the, he says the universe is composed of beings and forces. The forces that we see acting into the world belong to beings in the spiritual world. Hmm. And, and, um, and so there was a time when humanity knew that that was right. it was like it was it was just general knowledge everybody knew that right right and in, and in different epochs of time there was different levels of that capacity to see you know in one epoch it might have been the ability to see elemental beings right uh, in others it might have been so you know another epoch it was it, it could be much greater spiritual beings who know you know it, it was just like there was a the spiritual perception of humanity was greater in the past than it is in the present and that's the working of Araman. Araman is working to materialize us and, in, and if you look at where human consciousness has been going it has been going ever more into the material right meaning that when We've desold science, the arts, you know, so on and so forth. Religion. We started with nature. One of the things he says is that that materialism didn't begin in science. It began with religion. Right. Religion that makes sense. started this um, trajectory into ever m- more materialization. So first, let's, let's just say there's beings and there's forces, right? Yeah. And then what we... Then what he would say is that, well, our thoughts come to us from the spiritual beings that we are aligning ourselves with. Right. So So, you could say that that uh, like for for those who have difficulty stomaching that kind of a thing, you could say like, well, the presumption at a certain uh, point in time was that there was a kind of interconnectedness between all living things. And that, right. and that there were messages that were essentially uh, behind the screen of everything happening. That 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 fundamentally everything was an expression of these what you could call it spiritual messages, if you like, something like that. Right. And that and that these greater beings were seen as the a- agents of those messages, something along those lines, right? right? Exactly. And of course, you know, from the rationalist point of view, there's no evidence for that. Right. 
And that's what eventually sort of started chipping away at that perspective. But you, you could say like the very natural perspective of people who were living in nature and living, uh, you know, having to survive within nature. It wasn't just like they were going for a stroll in the park. They were deeply uh, having to understand what was going on in nature. That was their presumption. That was just right. like, it was just self-evident to them that that's how it was. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they they were wholly dependent on on nature, and they understood that there was some that it wasn't just a physical manifestation uh, that that they were a part of. That there was that behind everything physical was something from the spiritual world. Right, and the, and they you could say that basically they were listening to the language of nature writ large. Yeah. So, yes. and that language was like spoken in a voice. So they heard the, the voice of this deep, deep spirit that from which everything is flowing. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So what begins to happen is that you begin to see this, this, uh, this uh, material materialization of religion. You begin to see it with the sciences so now what we, you know, so let's fast forward to today and we look at the universe as mathematical equations and that's it, right? It's, it's just a series of mathematical equations that the universe is comprised of and we can explain the universe solely on mathematics. Well, actually, uh, like technically speaking, uh, the people who are advocates for the mathematical way of describing the universe say that there is no explanatory power to the equations. The equations just work. So that, that's the whole thing right. in quantum. Like quantum is like, well, we don't know what it means. We don't know how it works, but this is what it is because right. uh, we can do observations and they correspond with these equations. We can't tell you what the equation is actually telling us about how things actually work. So it's a very weird thing that, you know, it's like, it's like yeah, we really uh, have the deepest understanding, but we have no idea what it means. <laughs> That's basically where it's at, you know? Like, it's not a very satisfying right. situation. Right. And then to explain it as that it's something spiritual or a being or a, a, a composite of beings working together to make this thing go. Well, that just sounds ludicrous. like crazy talk. Yeah, that's that's yeah. crazy talk. That's <laughs> yeah. Right? right? Yeah. Which is that's... exactly what I mean, and, and and you know, which is exactly what Araman wants, right? If we were to if we were to talk about it, if, if so if we were to come back to this to this topic of Araman, that's exactly what he wants, right? So here's this spiritual being, here's this being that knows it's going to be incarnating, right? It knows it's going to be coming into human form so it has to it has to prepare the minds of humanity to receive it when it comes in hmm. right it's, its will is materialization its will is to deaden thinking to make thinking dead to get people to believe that there's no such thing as spirit Right. Right. So it, it has an agenda. It has a will. It's conscious and it's aware and it's a spiritual being. You know, So it's like it's got powers beyond what we can comprehend. Right. So it's so it's sending these messages into humanity and humanity is receiving these messages and picking it up. So 
does Steiner say anything about why? Like, wh why is Ahriman on that trip? You know, what's the motivation? Is it the old, like, fallen angel wanting to uh, compete for power with God? Something along those lines? Or Well, I, I can't. So here, here's what the best I can give you is my understanding. And, and it's my understanding, what my understanding of the mission of Earth is. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I don't know. I, I haven't gotten far enough in, and, and th this is, uh, you know, in all the Steiner that I've read, I haven't delved deeply into the Luciferic and Armonic. Actually, the lecture you sent me is some of the first that I've really just delved into it. Um, um, but I've, you know, I've read so much of his other stuff, um, that I have, I have the background of kind of like being able to go, uh, this I could possibly put some pieces of this puzzle together, right? Um, but one of the things that Steiner talks about is that the mission of Earth is love, hmm. right? The mission of Earth is that Christic love, and that and that and that the spirit of Earth is the spirit of Christ right now, and you know. Um, just as we know, spiritual work requires grist for the mill. It can't just all be love, just like, boom, like that. We have to have these forces that drive us to a point to, to stimulate or to um, catalyze us towards spiritual development, towards... Um, you know, it's like 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 a human being has to hit rock bottom sometimes, right? Before they make great changes in their lives, and then then they can then they can actually do great things because of that. You can't really see the light until you've seen the darkness. It's like you have to you have to see the shadow before there's any potential for a truly self illuminated stance. You know, and and humanity has to go through the collective human experience right right so to what extent is Araman real to what extent is Araman real yeah i i think we would be i think saying that Araman isn't real would be playing right into Araman's hands well i mean isn't to some extent like isn't the shadow the, like the force of the shadow is the extent to which you think of it as being powerful to some extent right, right. so you, we all have demons within us and the extent to which we think that's the, the real thing and what we're, that we're kind of running from it and just trying to hide that part of ourselves, well, that gives it power, right? So there, there is a, a way in which we can just recognize that's a story whose purpose is to actually show us the light, you know? Like, so right. if that's really what it is, then, you know, fundamentally, it doesn't have any real gravity in and of itself. There's not truth there in the sense of its being. It's just that it's an influence to bring us to truth, right? What's that, what's that saying? The greatest, the greatest lie that the devil ever told was that he doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't know. Where's that come from? Yeah, I don't know. I heard it somewhere along the way, but I mean, that's what it reminds me of, right? It's like, you know, don't, don't, don't be aware of my existence. Hmm. Don't be aware of the power of the forces that I have working in this world. And then when I come, you're totally unconscious of who I am. And, and you can be swept up in my chaos and confusion 
and sure um you know but it isn't isn't it also the case that you can just as easily get swept up in in the power of the devil by concretizing its existence I mean, it seems like I, I some people become convinced that that you know Satan is the Lord just because of the darkness of the world, right? So, right. you know, I, I right. think the extent to which you focus on on you know the the many ways in which Araman makes himself known in the world, and then you feel, oh well, this is really like the imposing kind of spirit of our age. I think that that can that gives it just as much power as well. Well, I, I agree with you. And I mean, I was sucked into that, really. I mean, I was sucked into like some, you know, and even, and even you know, I, I can know what I know or, or believe what I believe, let's say. I can believe what I believe. And that still doesn't prevent me from dipping into bouts of like paralysis and overwhelm and and. What was sadness. it that got you? Like what what, what did you see that, that or, or was it just the... It, 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 you know, what... So I, I, you know, I, I drive around a lot for work. You know, I travel a lot around around the state, and I'm in my mm-hmm. car a lot, and I'm just, you know, watching people, and just seeing the erratic. I think just the degree of erratic behavior mm. that I'm seeing anymore. Right. The degree of, of not being of people not talking to each other, like trying to find common ground with each other. I had an experience with a neighbor below me that was just like like who acts like this you know like Uh, just comes up you know made some demands of me like you're being too i so i mean there's a big big backstory here but anyways people not being able to build bridges people deliberately burning them just like oh there's a potential bridge fuck it i'm just gonna burn it right i don't even care what's on the other side of that bridge I don't care. I'm going to do whatever I want to do to meet my ends. I think of how many like entertainment products feature that kind of behavior as a primary aspect of the characters, you know, like the, yeah. the, the sort of the goofy comedy where the guy is just like, well, fuck it. I, you know, like just doing really rude bullshit stuff. Right. Even something like, you know, Kirby Enthusiasm where Larry David is just like continually doing idiotic outrageous thoughtless callous rude yeah. stuff to everyone whether he knows them or not and yeah. that's like super successful entertainment like that's a lot of what hit me was like the elevation of these attitudes right the elevation it's the elevation and the um and the worship the what these oh the worship worship yeah, yeah. The worship yep. of, of the worship of and the elevation and worship of this uh, of the worst aspects of human nature of you know the worst characters your video just froze are you still with me let's see it might come back in a second all right okay. me oh there you are okay so <laughs> Yeah, so that's, I mean, I, I, and I think just watching that really, yeah, you know, and I'm sensitive to begin with. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, like, I really, I, I feel the shit that's happening in the world. It's not like yep. I just see it or know it. It's like I feel it deep in my soul. Yeah, the and, same problem. Um, if I'm, if I'm like hanging out somewhere where they're watching TV or something like that, it just, 
it hurts. It, it just feels like, oh my God, wow. You know, yeah, this like, is really- like, uh, You're not aware of what you're doing to yourself right now, right? Yeah. And it makes and me wonder, like, do people actually, is that what people like? I mean, do people really like these shows or, or is that just, just like, like, just all the producers are Aramonic? Like, you know, basically Aramon is produce is the producer on all this right. mainstream crap and, uh, and makes the calls about what's going to be out there. And then it's sort of like monkey see monkey do, you know? And, and the other thing, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep answering your question here the other thing too is just watching the degree of partisanship that's happening in our country and knowing that it's happening in our country and it's happening elsewhere too that we are just one small experience on this global uh political stage and just knowing how deep the partisanship is right now and that's one of the things that he speaks to in the lecture right and he speaks to it in in multiple others is that one of the greatest signs of Araman is partisanship is mm. specifically nationalism he mm. he literally says nationalism and you, we have to understand that he's giving this lecture that that lecture was done in 1917 so they've just come you know 1917 or 1919 they're just coming out of world war one right? right so yeah. i mean you're talking about the most devastating world war ever to have happened in human history so you know so they're coming out of this apocalyptic experience right and he's speaking directly to nationalism and partisanship and he says he says you're just gonna you're gonna see it getting deeper and deeper you're just gonna you're gonna watch the divide happen and then because of the the creation of of machinery that's taking human purpose away right machines remove human purpose right right mm -hmm. and and so what we're gonna watch and he says this too in, in several of the other lectures what we're going to see is future generations, the younger generations becoming more and more depressed, right. more and more uh, sense of meaninglessness, sense of purposelessness. Right. And I think that for anyone who would question the idea of machines taking away purpose, you just have to think briefly about the history of specialization and how as people got pushed into ever more narrow occupations where the... Um, the day-to-day -day was so restricted because you'd have to be so technically proficient in particular, you know, in order to get the job done to a high technical standard, you have to really be trained into a very small cubbyhole. And, right. and that is really a reduction of human experience. And, and how right. could it not be depressing? And how could it not like stifle the sense of fulfillment in one's life? It's just, it's so clear that that's what's happened. On so many levels, and, it and it's been happening since the you know mechanical age, uh, right. and it, it amazes me that that he wouldn't have, or that at that time, right after World War One, he wouldn't have already said that Araman was was incorporated, that had 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 come into physical yeah. being. But he saw it as being a progression that was yet to happen. Right? That just gives you a sense of just how dark he says third millennium. Right. Third millennium. Right. I mean, think about how far we have to go. To hit the third millennium, like if he's right about that, think of how dark it is now. How dark will it be in another nine hundred years? Well, wait a second. Aren't we in the third millennium? 
Are we I mean, in the third millennium? Well, yeah. I mean, the first millennium would be up to 1,000, right? Oh, the second yeah. millennium would be up to 2,000. So we're in the yeah. freaking, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Paul, thank you for that. Yeah. So we are in the third millennium, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's so kind of amazing he, that that he made that call because it does seem like uh, I mean I wonder if he thought it was going to kind of come to f- fruition in the beginning of the third millennium or or in the middle right. or yeah when, when's it going to happen right but right? we but at least he gave us these these incredible signposts you know like he says you know he mentions the materialization of the sciences he mentions partisanship he talks about and he talks about partisanship as like people just slip into it they just right. slip into partisanship and it's like you so see it's like you so totally see people unconsciously slipping into partisanship and because I can understand why, because it's incredibly difficult to to try to stay in the middle somewhere. You know, you basically, right. yeah, it's you, you're like in a washing machine being pulled every direction possible, right? In the thought realm and in the heart realm. Yep. And and that's what he talks about is that we're not because we're not connected spiritually. If we're not doing the work spiritually you could say, um, then you're, you're going to, you're, you're a toy. You're going to be a toy for the forces at play. And, and, so you know, and he talked about, he talks about half truths and quarter truths hmm. being incredibly, incredibly damaging. He says, he says like a full on mistake is fine because you're going to see that. You'll you'll see that and you'll see the mistake that was made. But half truths and quarter truths leave people confused. It leads to chaos. It leads to an inability to know truth, to know what's happening. And wow, wow. I mean, I can't think of, I mean, we can't be in more prime of a place right now uh, in this country to see the evidence of that. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like some of the podcasts that you've sent me, like, you know, Brett Weinstein's uh, podcast and some of the interviews in there where like, you know, these very legitimate individuals in the scientific realm, you know, are being silenced. We're being given half truths, quarter truths about how to approach this whole pandemic right now. And, you know, and and look at the chaos it's creating. Yep. Right. And look at the chaos that political party uh, is creating right now solely for the sake of partisanship. And one of the things that he says in other lectures unrelated to this one, where, uh, where he discusses spiritual hierarchies, the spiritual hierarchy, um, he said, talks about there being uh, nine, nine layers of spiritual beings, basically going up the chain, but for, that, that are in the, that are, responsible for things like love and harmony and stuff like that. But for every one of them, there's one that's in like a sub earthly realm. That's the counter force to that. So Mm -hmm. if there's a spirit, uh, if there's a spiritual being for harmony, then there's a spiritual being for disharmony. And Mm -hmm. one thing he says is that partisanship, partisanship is one of those 
sub-earthly realm hmm. being and it's the most destructive and evil force partisanship because it divides humanity right it intentionally divides humanity yeah, and it does so on the basis just of of political expediency that's basically the whole game yeah and i mean and so i think where we're you know i just like all that was crushing in on me you know yeah and then you sent me that lecture and it was like i just got my flash it was like ah wow this is what i'm feeling right now this is what i'm feeling is coming and it's like my my soul my spirit knows it's happening like oh god well yeah we really are in the mic in the thick of it i mean I, i guess you know when you really consider 1917 right so uh, that's right in the thick of it too. So we, we, in a sense, have always been in the thick of it. Yeah. And it's just the question of whether or not we realize it. And I think quite, you know, we grew up at a time where we didn't really have to realize a heck of a lot of where we were, or what was going on. And we weren't really being taught a hell of a lot about where we were and what was going on. And it was only through, it yeah, it was only sort really? of curiosity. And I think, you know, a, a certain amount of brushing up against the the forces of darkness and, you know, the shadow and what have you that really, I think, has inspired some of us to figure out where we are and what's going on. Um, I wonder, like, it's interesting you brought up the Brett Weinstein thing, because that, of course, is one of the, I, I think, main uh, exceptions to the, the, uh, aromatic forces now on some level but on the other hand i also feel like it may sort of be a half truth in itself because it's it is really missing the spiritual element you know it's something that that i think of as being really tragic when it comes to uh brett weinstein and that and that ilk you know the sort of intellectual dark web or what have you you know some there is some kind of you know i guess peterson has a, a spiritual aspect that seems to me to He's always sort of dodging it and not quite folding it in with, you know, his his vision. But it's it's something that he acknowledges as being really important without ever discussing it, which in a certain way makes sense because I think it's very difficult to discuss it with just without sounding like you're completely nuts, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> well, exactly. And you know, and that's what happened with I mean, that's Steiner's life story. Huh. Steiner was he he was in the intellectual hub of Europe. He was in Weimar, Europe. He was the curator of Goethe's scientific writings at the University of Weimar. He, mm-hmm. he, he's a PhD. He was a PhD, right? He, he, he was a natural scientist, a philosopher. I mean, he was an intellectual elite of his time. And then he, his call was to go more into the esoteric. And when he did that, that was it. He was crazy, right? But the, the gifts that he had, he'd had since he was like seven years old, was like when he was first aware of being able to see the unseen. Hmm. And, and so, you know, it was with him his whole life and it just got stronger and stronger and stronger. So, yeah, I mean, it's like here's an intellectual elite and then he dives into the spiritual world and poof, there he goes. He's ostracized. Right. Which would definitely happen to Jordan Peterson. Right. It's enough shit from people like Sam Houston. You know, but uh, um, um, right, isn't that his name? Sam Houston, Sam Harris, Sam Harris, thank you, yeah. Sam Harris, who's an atheist, right? But yep, you know, but 
you know, well, Sam Harris has this whole, he has this whole kind of, he has moral compass, but he also has, uh, you know, an emphasis on meditation, which has sort of a spiritual dimension to it. So he's sort of, you know, I find it very unsatisfactory, maybe, maybe less satisfactory than Peterson. Yeah. Well, and this is what you said about Weinstein and those folks is true. And that's, I think, one of Steiner's biggest points is that anything that teaches you about the material world is only giving you the exterior structure of it. And what we have to do is we have to fill it in with what enlivens that material world, which is the spiritual realm. But I can understand why there's so much... I mean, think about the variety of explanations for what that spiritual domain consists of. I mean, and, which is wonderful, you know, so there's there's a great beauty to that. And that's one of the, the fascinating things about exploring the spiritual history, the spiritual tradition, if you like, from around the world. But it also does have a fair amount of uh, relativism. And, and it's like, okay, if someone is telling you that this is the truth of the structure of the spiritual domain, then right. there's a hell of a lot of disagreement about that. But it also has to be pointed out that it's really not all that different when it comes to the material. Well, that, well absolutely. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and yet also- Even within our present models, like it's okay, is it strings or is it freaking, you know, quantum fluctuations or what? You know, what, what electricity, what's the, what's going on here, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and, but it also should be noted that in the spiritual world, virtually all the great religions are saying almost the exact same thing, right? There's, there seems to be this universal theme of, of, you know, like, um, uh, the golden rule, you reap what you sow, you, you know, there's, there seems to be, uh, um, love your neighbor, like, you know, there, there seems to be these parallel teachings uh, of, of, of most, of most, if not all of the world's great religions, you know, we're not getting into the minutia, but, but you yeah, know. it's the devils in the details, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Truth is one, paths are many to get there, right? There's this one, there's this, you know, we, we live in this, in this holographic, cosmos and you know that that is you know this universal truth that that creates the fabric of it right and um it's when you start you know splitting hairs about the details that you get you get into trouble but that's where you know so when when you have someone like steiner who who is clearly a visionary whether or not the vision is accurate or not is the big question and he's really like you know giving you this structure of that domain you know that's where i always go like okay well you know why (laughs) like you know i mean it's interesting fine but i just can't like figure out okay is there a reason why it's structured like this what's you know he's just telling you like okay here's the hierarchy of the angels or whatever and it's like okay well i don't know like maybe i don't know go ahead go ahead (laughs) i know how you feel about you know so you know it's it's like one things i do appreciate about him though is that he 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 always reinforces don't take his word for it mm-hmm. he multiple points of his writing is like don't take my word for it do do this method and see what results you get mm-hmm. approach the spiritual world from this 
spiritual scientific method that he got from Goethe. Hmm. Like he adopted Goethe's scientific method. And that's, I mean, that's another thing you want to talk about, you know, science right now is like our scientific method, the randomized placebo controlled double blind, which isn't even the freaking scientific method. Right. Well, well, that's what we consider. We consider that to be the apex of the scientific method, but yeah. it fails us and fails us and fails us. And Goethe yeah. had a different way to approach nature. He had a whole different scientific method that he used of perception, imagination, inspiration, and intuition would be like really the, the, the quickest way to say it. And, um, and Steiner, who was the curator of Goethe's scientific writings, uh, took this method that that Goethe used to to understand nature um, that was really rooted in objectivity and applied it to the spiritual world. And he's you know and he's like, wow, okay, so this is like proving out and proving out and proving out. Hey, you guys, this is what I'm finding. Why don't you try and see what you find too? And that's one of the things I really appreciate about him is like he's. Yes, he tells you the landscape that he's seen. He's like, if you remember Kermit the Frog, when he was like a news reporter, ah, this is Kermit the Frog reporting from da 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 da. And here's what's happening on the scene right now. Oh, that's kind of like what's, you know, Steiner would be like, he would probably go into deep states of meditation and see, or, or just, you know, he just had this natural clairvoyant capacity to see. Um, the underlying what was underlying the physical world and right. come back and describe what he saw well it's fascinating because you know it, from like a purely logical point of view you could say that you know imagination being part of that process is where the ob objectivity goes out the window you know because because imagination is a fundamentally a subjective experience so well, you know, but on the other hand, like, it seems very true. Like, I was just watching a documentary about a savant, someone who, like, uh, has a very special relationship with numbers and who, uh, like, sat down one day and in front of a bunch of people recited uh, the value of pi to 22,000 digits with, like, nothing in front of him. He just, in his mind, was able to recite pi to 22,000 decimal points which is just mind blowing. And apparently what he does is he has like a, a, a every number has a, uh, like a very specific kind of texture and shape and color. And, uh, and like, that's the case for like something like up to 900 numbers or something like that. I can't remember what the number of how many numbers has their own unique identity. And then like, when there's a mathematical question or problem, he's looking at like a landscape of this imagery, you know? So that's imagination. That's image, right? So, and he's tapping into some kind of, and it's his, his own unique imagination. So there's something very real about that, very true. And, and when you have someone who can like recite pi, it proves that there's validity in the domain of imagination, right? You could say that that kind of imagination is a form of thinking. And that's what we would say is that there, there's imaginative thinking, not to be confused with fantastical thinking, Right. So so fantasy is different from imagination. Imagination is actually a faculty, a mental faculty that we can use to think 
something through. And, and, and so the way that Goethe would do it would be that he would, he would rest his uh, sense perceptions upon something, let's just say a plant, right? Because uh, he, he wrote a really wonderful treatise on plants called The Metamorphosis of Plants. So he would, he would use his sense perceptive faculties as like a as a um, scientific instrument, you could say, really study it, a plant from its uh, from the time it sprouts, its initial leaf formations, the metamorphosis of the leaves as it goes through its life cycle, right? So how the leaves shift in their pattern and shape uh, throughout its life cycle, um, uh, the, the the flowering, the fruiting the dying, the withering, right? So he would watch and, 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 and really absorb it, right? And then the way he would use imagination is could he, through his imagination, recreate that plant as, as to, to the greatest detail he possibly could in his imagination, mm. right? So mm. could he think it through? And then to test it, could you imagine that plant metamorphosize um, out of sequence of what its what its nature is, right? And would it allow you to do that? Could you actually see it happen? Could you see could you could you see a plant fruit before it flowers, as an example, right? Hmm. Well, you can't. It doesn't it doesn't work like that, right? So he would so he would do this and and what you would say is that by by doing that taking it in with your senses and then building it up in this in this imaginal mental faculty is you're like you're impressing it upon the life of your soul you're creating a relationship with this plant you're creating a relationship with being and then the next phase of this process would be to become passive because you're active in the sense perceptions, you're active in the imagination, and then you become passive. And that's where inspiration comes in. Can you allow the plant to tell you of itself? Mm. So you approach that plant without like, it's good for this, it's bad for that, poison ivy is a bad plant, you know, so, you know all these judgments. It's like, what does the plant want to tell me of itself? Who is this plant, right? And then through that inspiration, you lend it your human, intu your, your intuition or your human consciousness, which comes with a flash, right? You get that, oh, wow, okay, this is, it just gave me a message about itself, right? And that, and I can relate to that because I've had those flashes, you know, it's like, oh, there's the message, like I had it with the lecture you sent me. Like I was processing with a friend and it lightning strike, bam. Mm -hmm. I was like, and then I, mm -hmm. it clicked and I was like, got it. I got it. I now, I now know why I was feeling what I was feeling, so on and so forth. So, so Steiner took this and he, and he used it to gain understanding of the spiritual domain. Because here's the deal. The world of nature is born out of the world of spirit, right? So it's so the that method should hold true in the spiritual world if it holds true in the natural world because the messaging you're getting from that plant or whatever it is you're studying it's coming from the being that stands behind that plant that it brings it into existence hmm. if I'm making any sense I'm getting a well, little more out 
Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you know, the thing about it is that, you know, that the plant is the thing that keeps you on track with what that expression of that being is. You know, so it's the, the material manifestation that kind of is an anchor for the experience, you know, and, and right. it's hard right. to identify what it is that you're anchored to when you're trying to perceive the realm behind it, right? Right. And it's it's the and that physical, that physical manifestation is a symbol. It's a transient symbol of something eternal. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great way of thinking of it. And I, I really love the way you described it because it really gives you the the, the sense of the deep listening that's happening. That that yes. this this imaginative process is really about paying attention and and not in, imbuing it with your own stuff. You're basically putting yourself aside and you're observing right. this thing that is very real, that has its, you know, its existence uh, or or being is very tangible. And you're absorbing it as much as possible to gain access to its essence so that it takes a life inside of your own consciousness, that it's basically living inside of you, right? Absolutely. And once you've built that relationship, you have a moral obligation to care for it. That's right. That's love. You're, you're, that's love, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when, you, when, you, when, you, when you do this, you're creating a relationship with with something a thing uh and and you're coming to know it for what it wants you to know it for right it's telling you of itself right it's, it, it's like you and i have this relationship and, and that we've had for for many years now and i've gotten to know you because you've shared with me who you are and i'm not putting things on you like oh i know who noah is you know and i'm not i'm not Right, and that's yeah. the only way for me to come to you, right? Exactly. And 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 in and in doing that, I come to know your story. And when I know your story, I I I have this care for you, and I'm obligated morally to to care for you. And that's love. And that's and you can't help but love it. And you have to care for it. And that Noah is what that that is what we're missing, right? That that spiritual, soulful approach to nature, that spiritual, soulful approach to humanity, to life in general, this de-souling that has happened has allowed yeah. us to slip into this, into this mindset that does not care, doesn't care about the planet, doesn't care about the people. It doesn't, it, and, and we can rob it and rape it and pillage it and destroy it and each other because of that mindset. Well, yeah, it, 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 uh, I don't know if you got a chance to check out the uh, episode with Sam Vaknin, but um, he uh, talks about uh, the essence of narcissism is where the, uh, the consciousness forms an object that represents some other being. And the relationship is with that object and not with the being. So it's like there's an experience of some other being and you just sort of like create a cartoon character of it in your head and you're interacting with that cartoon character in your head. And that does explain an awful lot of crazy behavior out there. It really, it seems like, yeah, well, that that would explain why people are having a hard time connecting. And, and it also, uh, I think, has to do with like the sense of 
people are so frightened inside of themselves that they they feel the need to create these basically these redu reductionist kind of uh, images that they interact with rather than actually exploring what's really there. Uh, so it's a kind of uh, protective mechanism. And he thinks that it does probably fundamentally come from trauma, uh, which which is, you know, makes sense, you know. Uh, but I also think it has a lot to do with with a kind of uh, idol worship and, and you know, the, the craven image. You know, these are the things that our society is made of. We're, we're you know, we literally have like American Idol and and we're surrounded by images that people cherish more than they do each other and and their own lives i think sometimes right and they cherish the image they cherish the image of others uh rather than the actual person themselves they cherish the image of the individual not the individual right and so you could say that the Aramanic, you know that it, it Ar araman succeeds on the basis of creating people who can't cherish their own lives because they've been so sucked in by the, the mechanism of the world, something along those right. lines. Yeah. Sure. And they don't cherish the lives of others either. What they cherish is the image of that person's life, but not right. the actual person. Yeah. Right? It's like what uh, I, I heard someone say recently that the thing that characterizes our time in like the professional realm is I'll pretend you are who you say you are if you pretend I am who I say I am. That, like that's basically like what a professional relationship is now. It's like, right. oh wow, hmm. Yeah, we see it in the sports realm, right? We have this idea, this image of somebody, and then when they fall from our graces or when they pop that bubble of what we th of what we have created as our image of them, then we don't care about that person. We don't actually care about that person. They're just written off. Right. Well, I, I wonder, like, you know, in the realm of celebrity, which, you know, uh, sports is definitely a, 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 a domain. What's all about all about celebrity, just like the movie stars and rock stars, pop stars, what have you, that at, we've gotten the point now where actually people don't want they, they want the people they want these images to fail. They want the, the yes. sports yes. star to reveal what a scumbag he is or yeah. the, the failings of the celebrities are actually the thing that people are wanting to to see right. they want to tear them down they build them up to break they build them up build to, them up them to break them down that's right yep yeah you know and that's all and that's the drama that's the good stuff right that's where the good stuff is well that's the yeah. that's the fall of the tower i mean that's the that's you know babylon is the raising of the tower and while the tower is going up they're building up all these big personalities. And like the Taoists say, you know, in the time of the big names, the day of reckoning is near. So when the names start to be torn down, that's when you know the right. tower's crumbling. Right. I have a feeling we're getting there. We're I getting, think we're pretty damn close. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just, I it's like, wow. Like, I mean, I, I'm not, honestly, how much longer can uh, a political system like ours that is, that is, more and more being built upon half truths and quarter truths and, and full-on lies. Yeah, just downright mm -hmm. lies. Yep. Outright lies. Like yep. you didn't see what you think you saw. Right. Like, right. I mean, I don't want to do no partisanship shit here, but you know, when you see something like what happened at the Capitol, and then you have some and you have all this video 
and you know people died and you have a, and then you have somebody saying it was like it was like a it was like a tourist group coming through the capital you know and you're like whoa what, what kind of tourist group do you see at the capital where they're breaking windows you know ransacking the you know the capital i mean wow. i'm not you know well, I, 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 not I, like I said. I don't want to get into partisanship, but what, what, but what this does is it paints like here's images, video footage for you to see. You didn't actually see that though. <laughs> well, but no, but the pro. Okay, here. So we do have a disagreement about this because the images are the mechanism of the divide. Because there are also images of, you know, Capitol Police letting the crowds in them talking you know and so it's like you can pick your images and and so you know fundamentally like it comes down to the question of is was that a real insurrection or not you know and i think that when it comes to actual insurrections it's it's hard to make a good case for it being like a real insurrection it was about the most pathetic insurrection you could imagine but um you know, was it a, a significant political event? I mean, certainly it, it became one, you know, it was, it was, yeah. it's been used as one. And so, uh, yeah, it's just another, you know, wedge in, in the, in the public mind. Right. Right. And one of the things Steiner talks about also in this regard is he says, well, people have to realize that two sides can prove totally opposite things. Each side can prove, each yeah. side in the world of politics, economics, or whatever, anything that's not natural science for the most part, can prove that their point is the correct point. And until we see that that's the case, and that like that, that, that proving your point doesn't mean shit, really, you know, it's well, like- it, it makes it very like, difficult to, to um figure out some kind of a path forward, you know, because if, if it all just sort of cancels out, then, I mean, really when it comes down to it, all of this is just freaking entertainment at this point because the, the people don't have enough power. Like if, if everyone went into the streets, it still wouldn't do a damn thing, you know? So right. the, the, the power is in the hands of the powerful and they're, they've decided that they want to, you know, turn this thing upside down now. So that's what they're doing. And they're the force for Aramon, right? And and so one of the things he says is that 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 there's no stopping this from happening. Yeah, like there's nothing. There's we're on. There is a trajectory yeah. that is happening here. Yeah, whether we want it to or not, there's nothing to stop it. Yeah, and 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 so. So that's that's what's happening is that these people who are in charge of making decisions for humanity, really political leaders. And he also what's really fascinating and, and just to keep going is that he talks about the evolution of leaders hmm. in the days of old. It was the initiates, the pharaohs, right? The 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 uh, Babylonian kings, and then it became the priest class. And then it became the economics, and then it transitioned from economics to the bankers. And he mm. he lays out like this this evolution of who's running the world, basically, mm. who's making 
decisions for the world. And here we are, right? Bankers, the bankers are the ones that are in control of the government for the most part. But you have these people that are making decisions for humanity that are sucked into aramonic forces. They are possessed by aramonic forces. So it's all about the material. Their job is to prepare the the mindset of humanity to receive this being hmm. when it comes. The singularity. Right. You know, and only those who who do who do their diligence to practice objectivity and be, you know, to find that neutral space so that you can not be sucked into those forces um, so that you can see clearly what's going on. Right. Those will be the people. Like those are, those are the seers right now. Right. It's like, uh, if we can step back, not be sucked in by the pull of, mm. of you know, gravity, the, the gravity, yeah, the gravitational pull of this, yeah. of this, uh, of the situation, you could say, I mean, situations have gravity and you could say like everyone is yeah. feeling that gravity. That's what the pull is, right. you know? So it's exactly. really hard not to get sucked into it. Right. So if you can practice that neutrality, uh, then you'll be able to see it clearly. Yeah. You'll be able to see it much more clearly. Right. So. It's the middle path again. So, uh, you know, that, that would be another thing that I think is worth mentioning about like the Christic in a way is this middle path between the Luciferian and the uh, and the Satanic or the Aramonic. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, it is so it's that integration path. of spirit and matter, you know, where you're not right. obsessed right. with either, but you're kind of looking at that interface because it's uh, along the membrane that that divides the spirit from the matter. That everything is happening. That's the living zone, you know. And, exactly. And really. And really it, and realizing that each one of them, like whether it be Lucifer or Araman, is serving a purpose for the evolution of humanity in some way, right? Mm -hmm. It's not all bad. There's, there's, you know, it's serving a purpose. Right. Yeah, I think that's actually really important, like having, because there is a certain horror that, that, that one feels in this situation, but having uh, empathy for... Uh, people who are possessed by Araman, you might say, and and right. not seeing them so much as an enemy, but seeing them as uh, the process, part of this process of of this inevitability, the the kind of because it seems like in in a way you could think of this as being uh, natural population dynamics, because you get larger and larger numbers. That's what creates this kind of lack of space, the segmentation, the specialization, you know. And that, that specialization kind of puts everyone into a cell, right? And yeah. that's where the desolation occurs, you know? Yeah. So it's that it's separation. Really it's a separation because we're we're all too close to each other. It's very weird. <laughs> well, you know, and he does say, he says, if we were to perceive this properly, we wouldn't say, oh, so-and-so is a bad person or so-and-so is evil. We would say, right. oh, so-and-so is caught up in Luciferic forces. So-and-so right. is, is, is caught up or possessed by aramonic forces. So it's like an illness. Right. Like a virus, yeah. like an illness. It's an exactly. illness. Yeah. 
Yep. So that would be like wetico. Yeah. I think that's what they call or it. A soul sickness. You could call it like a soul sickness. A soul sickness, exactly. Yep. Yep. Oh my God. Well, that's 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 a lot to to chew on right there. I think yeah, that was excellent. Definitely a silence moment in there yeah. somewhere. No. <laughs> I know. I got to figure out the technology to do it. We could just okay. You ready? Yep. Assembly silence. Here, a little. We haven't done one in a while. A little assembly of silence moment know. for y'all. First assembly of silence moment captured on video. listening. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home. <laughs>